You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Al-Qaeda works on ISIS-style inspiration. The Money Taker gang has been raiding banks quietly for about a year and a half. HP fixes an inadvertent keylogger in its laptops. 4IQ finds a huge database of aggregated credentials from many breaches for sale on the dark web. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies attract scams and hackers. Why? That's where the money is. An ICO scam artist is in the SEC's crosshairs, but they'll have to wait until Quebec is through with him. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, December 11th, 2017. Borrowing from the ISIS playbook, Al-Qaeda goes online as it seeks to inspire attacks in response to the U.S. Embassy's relocation to Jerusalem. So far, such attacks have been less widespread than have been predicted, but there have been incidents in both Jerusalem and New York, and authorities are on alert. No successful hacktivism has so far been reported, beyond the minor website defacements noted Friday. Group IB reports finding a Russian-speaking gang, Money Taker, that's looted as much as $10 million from Russian and U.S. banks. They've also hit targets in the U.K. Russian institutions seem more heavily hit than banks in other countries. Money Taker has been active for about a year and a half, and it's concentrated on card processing systems, especially in Russia, and on the SWIFT money transfer system, especially in the U.S. Law firms and financial software vendors have also been targets. Among their tools are the familiar Citadel and Kronos Trojans. Some 460 models of HP laptops are found to contain a keylogger pre-installed with their Synaptics touchpad driver. Affected models include the EliteBook, ProBook, Pavilion, and Envy series, HP has issued fixes for the devices, saying that neither HP nor Synaptics has received access to customer data through the bug. This indeed seems to be the case. ZW Close, the researcher who found and responsibly disclosed the problem, described HP's response as terrifically fast. It appears that the keylogger was in origin a debug trace inadvertently left behind in the software. HP has a full list of the affected devices, and the steps you can take to fix them at its customer support site, support.hp.com. Search for Synaptics touchpad driver potential and see their remediations. Dark web souks continue to draw researchers' attention. Some of the material found there is surprising. 4IQ reports that it's found a single file on the dark web that hosts 1.4 billion clear text credentials to various sites. It's an interactive, aggregated database that pulls together a lot of old, known breaches collected in the exploit.in and anti-public credential dumps, as well as more than a hundred other newer breaches. The stuff is for sale, but 4IQ can't determine who the sellers are. Whoever they may be, they've set up Bitcoin and Dogecoin wallets to accept payment. 
Bitcoin continues its rapid rise in value and receives commensurate criminal attention. Fortinet reports observing a phishing campaign that pretends to be marketing the Bitcoin trading application Gunbot. Gunbot is a real, if new, trading tool, but the payload the bogus emails deliver is the malicious Orcus rat. Sands says it's seen adult content spam email distributing a crypto coin miner. The less said about which the better, and what are you doing opening mail like that, Internet Storm Center? The payload was carried in a zip archive named CMYXXX Photo, something obviously calculated to contribute to the delinquency of a Bitcoin miner. Get it? Miner. Mine. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just fish bait and surreptitiously installed miners. Just as you can get a cheap knockoff Gucci purse on certain streets in New York and Washington, so too can you buy a knockoff Bitcoin wallet inside, shockingly enough, the walled garden of the Apple Store. Buyer beware. We find we've had a lot to say about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies lately. It's worth noting, lest anyone come away with the wrong impression, that there's nothing inherently criminal or even shady about cryptocurrencies. So it's not that Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency is automatically, by its very nature, a cyber risk. Still less is blockchain technology itself riskier or more dangerous than anything else out there. Bitcoin futures themselves are now being traded on the CBOE, parent of the well-known Chicago Board Options Exchange, and the world's largest futures trading exchange. So that's surely legit and even regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. CBOE opened these futures for trading yesterday, the ticker symbol is XBT, and the speculators are free to speculate away. Training began yesterday at 5 p.m. U.S. Central Time, and CBOE says the futures posted a strong start. It's more a case of fresh meat drawing flies, and we're not talking about the kind of flame-broiled meat associated with the high-flying Russian cryptocurrency Vopercoin, available at Burger King in the Arbot and elsewhere. There's clearly a lot of cryptocurrency speculation going on out there. Just look at the impressive rise of Bitcoin values. We see that this afternoon one Bitcoin is trading about $16,000. And any speculative bubble will draw crooks and fraudsters. Just recall the dot-com boom of the late 1990s when companies touching the then-novel e-commerce market drew very overheated speculation. Some of those companies are with us today, others have vanished, along with their corporate fitness centers, foosball tables, and stadium naming rights. There are also out-and-out -out con artists playing in the cryptocurrency space. One such con man, Dominic LaCroix, we've heard about before. He's the impresario behind that PlexCoin ICO the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission found objectionable. Monsieur LaCroix has been convicted of fraud in his native Quebec, where a court handed him two months in prison and a fine of 10,000 loonies. Justice Marc Lesage said, Greed at the expense of investors who are promised unmatched interest rates remain the only goal of the defendants. Monsieur LaCroix isn't exactly flavor of the month either north or south of the border. The U.S. SEC, you'll recall, last week froze his assets and told a federal court in Manhattan that LaCroix's claims about PlexCoin were a bunch of hooey. U.S. prosecutors will have their crack at him, probably, but only after he finishes the sabbatical Judge Lesage has granted him. A bientôt, Monsieur LaCroix. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging. 
and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben, welcome back. Uh, we saw a story about uh, some legislation that's been introduced. It's the IoT Cybersecurity Improvement Act of 2017. Uh, take us through, what are we talking about here? So a group of bipartisan senators, and it's always good to see uh, bipartisan measures on, on subjects like this, introduced a bill called the IoT Cybersecurity Improvement Act, and I think it's really a response to what we've seen in terms of cyber attacks in recent years, both on government systems and on private systems, uh, especially as it relates to the Internet of Things and uh, other connected devices. And what the bill would do would be leverage, it would leverage the government's buying power to set a sort of basic level of security for these devices. So for a government contract, any uh, vendor, any provider of a connected device would have to abide by stricter cybersecurity standards. I think there are pluses and minuses uh, to this approach from the perspective of uh, manufacturers of these devices. It could you know, be a decent selling point. It could be a good business practice for some of these producers because if you are meeting some sort of government standard, that can be s sort of an asset in explaining why your product is is secure against cyber threats uh but of course it could be a, a major cost and burden during the course of production so uh it could affect uh, i think what this article noted it would affect the time to market and usability uh for some of these products and again you know it's not mandating anything per se from manufacturers it's just giving them 
incentive to come up with stricter cybersecurity standards uh, if they want to contract with the government. And obviously, every company that manufactures one of these devices knows that the government has immense buying power, particularly when we're talking about the Department of Defense and, and some of our intelligence agencies. So could this be a matter of where manufacturers could uh, could you know slap a sticker on their product that says that it's compliant with this act? I would hope that the legislation is going to be stricter enough. Obviously, a lot of the specifics are going to be delegated to federal agencies. My guess is that NIST would take a lead in uh, helping to develop these standards. We would not want a situation where the government is is putting a rubber stamp on something. When the product is not actually secure, we want this designation to have some sort of meaning. Otherwise, uh, I think the law wouldn't be terribly effective. So I think even if this legislation were to pass, and I think it has a decent chance of getting enacted, I think the real legwork would be done at the administrative level, trying to figure out exactly what standards manufacturers would have to comply with. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.